Welcome back to the Digital Dive Podcast, a conversation about tech. My name is Darsh. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm your other host. In this week's episode, we're doing a very heated debate discussion about Android versus iOS. I feel like this is the number one comment I get as a tech reviewer. Which one do you prefer? Which one do you use on a daily basis? Which one do you think I should use? So we're going to break all of that down in this episode. Yeah. So if you like what you hear this episode, guys, make sure to hit that follow button on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And make sure that you get notified of every episode we put out and helps us get the show out to even more people. We release new episodes every Monday at 7 a.m. Central. 8 a.m. Eastern. And I want to give a huge shout out to uh, Dom, dot, 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 Dom. They left an amazing review on uh, the podcast platform, like on Apple Podcasts. It was titled Best Dive Every Week, the five-star rating, plus love the pace and the depth of the unbiased analysis. Keep growing. So if you guys want to help us keep growing, definitely go leave us a review down on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you have been entered in that as a result to be featured in one of our episodes. So definitely make sure to check that out. With that being said, and that entire long-winded spiel away, thank you. We really appreciate it. Now let's roll the intro. All right, so um, starting out this week, actually, we're going to just firstly touch on OnePlus. Now, OnePlus did have a new press event today where they announced the OnePlus 10T, uh, which is a brand new smartphone coming out from OnePlus this year. It's going to be more of a budget consumer device rather than their highest end flagship. So before we start talking about iOS versus Android, let's talk a little bit about one of the latest Android devices, the hardware that it comes with, the OS, and then we'll talk a little bit between iOS and Android. So Jack, and I want to throw it to you. What are your thoughts on the OnePlus 10T or can you give us kind of a breakdown of what we can expect here? Yeah, so the OnePlus 10T is going to have a 6.7-inch display with two colors, black and jade green, and also going to be the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 chip, which is a more efficient version of the 8 Gen 1 silicon that the OnePlus 10 Pro had. And so I feel like, as always, OnePlus puts a lot of emphasis on performance, and it feels like they're doing that again. Like, that's where they often put the money. It actually looks really cool. The camera module is definitely a look. So you either like that or not like that. (laughs) Yep. And it starts at, I think, $649, and then the more expensive one is $749. So I actually think that that is a pretty pretty good pricing scheme, and especially because a lot of people are saying, like, oh, OnePlus has lost their way, et cetera. This feels like a little bit they're returning back to their roots to some extent. Yeah, it's it's definitely different here. And so one, the OnePlus 10T definitely offers some strong performance with the Snapdragon 810, so 8 Plus Gen 1. Uh, so we're going to get some good performance here alongside 120 hertz, 1080p display. It's going to be OLED, so you're not going to get 4K here, but you are going to get like a fairly high resolution as well as adaptive display when it comes to the refresh rates. So that's always really exciting. I think one of the things that I found really interesting was the fact that OnePlus actually never released the OnePlus 10. Rather, they only released the 10T, which is one of the first times they've ever done this, rathering to skip over the flagship device to offer a strong performance-based device that is more consumer-friendly in terms of pricing. Because at a price of 650 US, it's actually fairly good in the Android space. That's like price of most mid-tier phones, but it's offering almost flagship-level specs, especially with a 50-megapixel rear camera with an f1.8 aperture, as well as a 16-megapixel like selfie cam. So your two main cameras here are like phenomenal on paper, so I'd be very excited to see how this pans out. Yes, I am actually super excited as well. And especially with like the software, interested to see how they've got about that, because obviously we've talked about the merger and the failed merger between like Apple and OnePlus and what that's going to mean for the code bases. 
But that actually brings us to a bigger point here, which is that there are tons of new phones constantly coming out, but the areas where we're really seeing the biggest innovation are in the software and not as much the hardware. A lot of the phones have very similar hardware, but software improvements are really elevating the experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we do jump into some hardware, sorry, into some software stuff, let's just touch a quickly on the differences that you'll get between Android and iOS hardware, because I do feel like there is a big discrepancy here, and it's probably one of the biggest things that do differentiate between the two. Because with Android, you have all these different OEMs. You have so many different manufacturers that will offer you multiple different phones with different specifications, as well as different skins on the OS. And on top of all of that, just different price ranges. So if you're someone who doesn't want to spend $1,000 on a smartphone, and I don't blame you, um, you can go and look at an Android phone and find one for under 500 bucks that will still be able to do everything that you need your phone to do. Yeah. And I think that that also, it's worth noting as we start talking about software features, because in the context of different phones, um, certain phones will be faster and have better chips and better performance than other phones. And so even if they're running the same Android 12, you'll get a vastly different experience depending on the device. So the first mm-hmm. like pro of Android is that there's a lot of different options. And so that's why it's used by so many people in the United States and globally. And that's because they're able to afford it. Whereas with iPhone, there's a much more limited scope of which devices you can get. Obviously they've added more now with like the SE lineup and keeping some older devices, but it's still more limited than on Android. You could find like a $50 phone. And so that is worth noting. But when we're talking about the overall software experience here, we're going to be talking about it in relation to like the best of the best, because I think that that's probably the fairest way to compare it, but we'll definitely sprinkle in some cheaper stuff as well, because it is worth noting, like Google wants Android displayed and the premium iPhone is the way that Apple wants iOS displayed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing to mention is that Apple does not have a, as big of a market share in the other half of the world. In the Northwest uh, Hemisphere, we definitely do have a lot of, I guess, stance and there's a lot of established reputations for Apple in the Northwestern Hemisphere. But however, if you go to the Eastern Hemisphere, you will notice that there is a lot less use of iOS. Most people in their ecosystems that they built out around there, um, especially in a lot of third world countries, it found that like using Android phones are just more popular because they do fit that price point. So that is the last thing I will mention when it comes to price point, because I feel like I have harped on it quite a bit. But jumping into some software features, the actual differences between the two OSs, Android and iOS, I think we can just do a back and forth between Jacqueline and I here. Jacqueline, like what are your, what, what is something that you have on Android phones that you would really, really like to see on iOS? So something that's like completely missing. Yeah. Wow. That is such a good question. The first thing that immediately came to my mind is the widget support. Obviously, iOS has widgets now, but the way that Android does widgets is still better, in my opinion. There's like more diverse widgets. iPhone, it's still pretty limited in comparison. There are a lot more now with the new iOS upgrade, and that has been a big improvement. Like in the past, it was like you could only have the widgets in the control center. Now you can have it on your home screen. But I love on Android the ability to kind of like freeform the home screen the way you actually want it in a way that iPhone just does not let you do. No, absolutely. Like literally the only way for me to keep my main apps that I use on a daily basis at the bottom of the screen is to put like a giant widget in the center. And I can't even put multiple widgets because it doesn't look very nice. And I think iOS only got this feature now in a certain few uh, widget apps where you're actually able to make the background transparent. Whereas on Android, like that's been a pretty native feature for a while when it comes to widgets. And on top of all of that, to actually make it so that it can look transparent, you have to take a picture, like a screenshot of your backdrop while on like the home screen. So you have to make all the icons jiggly, go to a brand new page, screenshot that, and then open color widget and add that as the background so it knows how to fill in the space. So then also if you have dark mode and light mode, it doesn't automatically switch over for that. 
there are all these inconsistencies with it that I personally find to be quite annoying. Yeah, that is a good point, especially because with iPhone, like they're uh, one of their big things is that it's so controlled. Like the experience can should always be the same, but I definitely have found with widgets that it's not. But I think we should just like back up a little bit maybe and just talk like an overview of like maybe like the two, like what we believe the two mission statements of the company are before we get into the nitty gritty. Because I feel like with Android, it's like customization first, putting like giving you the keys to the toolbox and you kind of design your own thing. Universally, I feel like that's kind of what the software is. Whereas iPhone is like security and consistency first. I think I would agree with that. I think Android definitely has like security as like a top end point for them in terms of their mission. But I feel like you are right in the sense that it is mostly customizability based. And I think it's also just supposed to be a more open source platform like ios is very locked down as you were mentioning before whereas android is very open-ended it's more so like linux than it is that i would compare it to i guess like windows and mac it's more like linux versus mac it's or like ios can do whatever you want it to do but in terms of customizability and building out this os that you personally would really like is something you can only do on android like no matter what android phone i get if i want to make it so that this phone looks identical to every other phone i have i literally have um, a Nova Launcher Pro like, Pro, like template saved on my drive, which I can just constantly go back to anytime I want to reset it back to what I want. Do you feel like that customization like makes Android a more exciting experience for you? Oh, absolutely. If I get an, if I get a new Android phone, I spend at least like two, three days just setting it up, like just making it like mine, making it the most useful and productive for me. And that's one of the th- reasons why I love Android so much and why I would if I could switch back and get out of this Apple ecosystem, I absolutely would. But it's the ecosystem that makes such a big difference. But we'll touch on that a little bit later. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be like the main point of this episode, because that's kind of the main thing that people talk about when they say they will or will not switch. But just briefly to go over a couple other feature differences, I feel like with the new iOS 16 update, they're actually getting super similar now. Android 12 was really heavy on Material U and using the wallpapers to using AI to look at the wallpapers and what color the wallpaper has to like even further customize the phone. That is my favorite feature in Android 12. I love it. And iPhone is doing something similar with the wallpapers in terms of using AI to cut out the foreground from the background to kind of have the wallpaper interact with the UI elements. But I actually think a really cool feature that iPhone has that I would love Android to have is the multiple lock screens, depending on like what mode you're in. Wait, you want Android to have that or iOS to have it? Android to have that. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say like, iOS is bringing that oh, for did this I, new Did update. I say iOS? You may have. Okay, my bad. Yes, Android. I think that that's a really, really cool feature of iOS, especially like work mode, personal mode. Those focus modes are really smart, but the fact that they can interact with their lock screen and home screen, I think is going to be huge. Absolutely. And and aside from that too, like iOS just, just is a lot easier to use for, I guess, more technologically, I guess, how do I say this in a nice way? People who don't have or not, aren't necessarily the most technologically savvy will find iPhones and iOS just a lot easier to use as a platform as a whole. And that's not just to say like within like just normal everyday use, but with certain things like Apple CarPlay, for example, which is, in my opinion, much superior to that of Android Auto. Android Auto, I feel like is still lacking in a lot of its capabilities and just in its overall UX and UI. Like it's not very well built out. I find like it's a little confusing at times. And then on top of all of that as well, we have to look at like contactless payments. Like one of the things that I don't know, Jacqueline, like how often do you use Apple Pay realistically? Okay, so last week I... Like maybe two weeks ago, I had was just talking to someone and I was like, I never use Apple Pay. I've used it every single day since then. It's now like a huge part of my routine. And so that's what I mean. So when it comes to like Android and you want to use Google Pay, for example, like it works well, but at least in Canada, there's a lot of banks that won't support Google Pay. 
because mm. they realize that you can use Android as like however they want. So they can just build in the payment through the app itself. So they can have their own wallet apps, which then counteract using Google Pay. And then Google Pay isn't even installed in half of these devices too. So when it comes down to like contactless payment, I use my iPhone for most of my payments, to be honest with you. Like if I'm out and about, like I don't want to pull out my wallet, I'm just going to pull out my phone and just tap it. And usually my phone's already out. So it's just it's easy. Unless it's something bigger, expensive, or requires my actual pin, like I can just tap and I'm good and I move forward my day and it's fine. So Google Pay not being as available, especially for me, like I know every time I've used an Android device in the past two years, most of my banks that I'm with actually do not support Google Pay at all. So I don't, I haven't even gotten a chance to use it. So it's, it's certain small features like this as well that make a big difference for me because ultimately, if you are a relatively tech savvy individual, you'll be able to navigate between Android and iOS pretty pretty well, like with not many uh, issues or questions. Because if you just leave Android stock, however, the OEM left it for you, it's fairly easy to navigate. That's a really good point. I definitely agree. Like, and I think also with iPhone, it tends to be like there's more support systems in place if you don't understand how to use it. So like for people that aren't super technology savvy, like, I don't know, someone like my grandma, for example, I would never buy her an Android phone because I know that if she gets an iPhone, she can always go to the Apple store and get direct support there. And they have classes to teach people how to do things. Obviously, like Google has similar stuff now that they're opening up flagship stores. But I honestly feel like Apple support is like unmatched. No, and you're absolutely right about that. Not even just support, like even in baked into iOS, you have a tips app. It's literally True. designed to, to give you updates and notifications every now and then to show out new features, things that you may not be aware of that you can now actually learn and figure out and be able to navigate the UI even better than you could before because they give you that option. Whereas with Android, like if you want to figure out how to use your phone, you're going on YouTube and typing in tutorials. Like it is a very big True. difference there when it comes to onboarding people to the platform, which is like, at least there's like the stigma behind having an Android phone. I feel like at least in North America and it's not it, if that makes sense. Like it's just, it, it makes it so that having people actually try out Android and like actually give it a shot it's a lot less likely because of the stigma. I agree with you. Do you feel like that is like age group specific though? Like I think iMessage is one of the things, and this is us now, a little bit heading into ecosystem because I feel like this Android and iOS obviously do have some differences, but I think one of the main, like the biggest thing that keeps people with the platform is the ecosystem. Like iMessage, FaceTime, the culture around that. If you have other devices like a Mac or an AirTag, it just all works together. Do you feel like the culture around iMessage versus Android is one of the driving factors in it and people like staying on iPhone? Or do you feel like people just prefer the ease of use with it? I think unknowingly, it's probably the ecosystem. Because like, at least for me, I can talk to some buddies of mine. I'll, I'll chat with them and be like, oh yeah, like you're running out of phone space. Did you get like iCloud storage? Like, yeah, I got iCloud storage. Okay, cool. So you have 200 gigs of iCloud storage you pay monthly for. And then on top of that, you have, let's say, Apple Music, another platform you're paying Apple directly for. There's like all these little small platforms now that you're getting like into the nitty gritty of it with Apple, where it becomes almost like impossible to get yourself out of. Like if all of your music is on Apple Music, you're not going to want to switch to Spotify. And honestly, using Apple Music on Android is kind of a pain in the butt. Like it's really not it. Like I'd much rather use Spotify on Android. So it's things like that that are like small ecosystem features or aspects that you don't realize have just like pulled you in completely. Or like iMessage is a big one for me personally, because I know for myself, if I leave iMessage, I'm going to have so many issues communicating with so many people because so many people, like I'm in so many iOS group, like iMessage group chats where like, if I'm out of it, like I'm just not going to have access to me, like to, to those group chats anymore. And I don't want to move over to Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook messenger. I'd much rather just keep it on iMessage because it's just, it's centralized and I trust it more than I trust like messenger. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny because I was in a group chat like 
I think three days ago, someone was inviting me and a couple other people out to dinner. And I, they texted like, not my iMessage, like just my regular number. And it did not code to everyone. Like my, the fact that I was a green bubble screwed the rest of the chat. It got completely like discombobulated. And they were like, oh my God, like who did this? Uh, and it genuinely, I was like, all right guys, like I guess let's do Instagram DM or something, which is much more annoying, especially because I feel like when you use social apps for your messaging as like the main messaging source, you just end up wasting a lot more time because you're on the social app responding to message and then you end up like mindlessly scrolling. So I find for me, like having just a dedicated messaging app is super important. And Google is trying to do that a little bit with RCS. And now it's kind of on Apple to adapt RCS, which is like the rich communication services. Basically, it's a way to like standardize texting. So in a perfect world, Android could kind of be part of like this typical iOS, like iMessage features where you would get red receipts and images would go through well and you could have all those types of notifications. But I'm like, I would be shocked if Apple adapts that anytime soon. We'll see. Like Apple isn't necessarily always in the greatest spot to adapt to new platforms or like to new frameworks, just because Apple is very much like, if you're going to do it, we just want to do it better. Like that's, I feel like very much the Apple way. It's whatever you do, we're just going to take and we're going to try to do it better than you. So it's a little iffy there whether or not we'll actually see that. In terms of other things though, within like Android and iOS, Jacqueline, like what are some things that are, I guess, what, what an Android, I guess for you, I use an iOS device primarily, correct? I use both actually. So I have two SIM cards and I use both phones on a daily basis to try to stay impartial. But for personal, like personal life friends and stuff, I use iMessage with them like 90% of the time. And then if not more, like the only other option would really be iMe- like instant DMs or something. But for like work stuff, I often use an Android phone for my main phone number and I carry both of me on a daily basis. Okay. So what, what for you is like a hard sell to put your personal all on Android? Like besides iMessage, I guess. Like, is there anything else that's really holding you back here? I think the other main thing is app optimization. Like I think third-party apps generally are better optimized on iPhone. Like I was even using Spotify this week on the Pixel 6a. It was just like slow. And the animations were weirdly laggy. And I was like, oh my God, like, is this Tensor? Is this just Android? And I think that you get that like Instagram or social apps, the photos don't look as good on them. So I think like the phone can be as fast as possible, right? Like you can have all the best specs in the world, but if the developers don't spend an equal amount of time making it great for Android and it's not gonna be as good of an experience. And also they have to optimize it for like thousands of Android OEMs, like different models, obviously not thousands of OEMs, but like thousands of phones in aggregate among all of the OEMs. And so I think that that also becomes much more difficult. So it's not just like they're not spending time, but it's also just like a much harder problem to solve. Okay, I, I, I see where you're coming from there. I see where you're coming from. Do you agree? Like, do you find that the apps are well optimized on Android or not really? Um, I'd say optimization is hit or miss based on like the type of app. If it is like a more low key app that I'm just experimenting with, then it, I don't find that the optimization is great. But what I do find is that there are just more app options. So there was actually an article I was reading this morning and that was talking about one of the things that really did set iOS apart from Android and it's the apps and the app store. So it's like in, to, in 2022, we are all app rich. We all have access to so many apps that can do everything for us. But iPhone owners are the super rich. And hear me out, I kind of get where they're going with this because as much as the Google Play Store is effective and offers so many opportunities and so many options for applications, it won't ever be able to beat the ecosystem of applications that iOS has already been building out for so long. Like I can get an application on my iPad that is also going to work on my iPhone, which is also going to work on my Mac, which is optimized perfectly for all different platforms. Whereas if I do something like that on Android, like I remember using a note taking app Bamboo, the like Mac app sucked. It was absolute trash. I couldn't even get it on my phone too. So mm. if I wanted to access any of my notes anywhere else, which 
I feel like is a very big plus of using digital note-taking devices. It like was kind of impossible to do. And the only way to make it to do it where it worked was using like Samsung notes. Cause at this time I was using a Samsung tablet. So it was something I found to be quite annoying was just that I wasn't able to find as many like good cross-platform apps that were available for everyone. It was very That's much a good like point. If, you're in, if you're in Android, the Mac apps are going to go along with it are going to be pretty shite. So you're going to end up wanting to go to iOS so that the apps and like the crossover becomes a little bit better there. That's a really good point. And I think the other thing is that privacy controls and app tracking is more secure on iOS. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even every single app now asks you, like, would you like to track? Would you like to enable tracking? Like, is this okay? I think Android is going to add something similar if they haven't already, but I just trust Apple a lot in terms of privacy because it feels like one of their core values, whereas Google is obviously an advertising company and so they can't care about it in the same way. Yeah, I I would agree. I feel like, like Google definitely does have a little bit more bias there in terms of like that kind of realm. Like in terms of like advertising. Totally. And I think the other thing, another main thing that is becoming less relevant if you buy stock Android, but it's still relevant if you buy other Android devices is bloatware. Like on a Samsung device, if you buy it through a carrier, you get all this like BS carrier crap that no one wants. You don't get that ever on an iPhone, even if you buy it via a carrier. Yeah, that's fair. But I just want to, I want to like lay the playing field. Android has better, like significantly better, in my opinion, Google Assistant and AI features. It's not even comparable, I think, to Siri. The fact that AI, like Google Assistant, can call and wait for you on the phone when you're trying to call a restaurant or to get a U.S. passport or to like talk to a customer service. The fact that it can also interpret what you're asking in a conversational way so you don't have to keep repeating like the context to the question. You can just be more conversational and it gets it more of the time. And the live transcription features, all of that is outrageously good and Apple doesn't come anywhere close. I- I'd agree. So Let's let's just jump to I guess final remarks then in terms of Android versus iOS. Um, Jacqueline, I'll just let you kind of continue here. Like, is there anything else you want to add to uh, your stance between the two OSs? Yeah, I would say I, my overall thing is that I don't prefer one over the other, but I do prefer certain things about each one over the other. So like overall, I think they're pretty equal to me. I love both, but generally the things that I prefer iPhone for are like the obvious ones: ecosystem, reliability, the iMessage community social aspect. I prefer Android for the flexibility and the customization. And then also really the AI like that lately has become a huge driving force. And the fact that I love it so much because it does save me a lot of time. And I can ask Siri to do something like turn up the music and it gets like all confused and has no idea what I'm talking about. So I think that AI features are going to become even more prominent with Google. And I really admire how hard they're working on that. I think if I had to just pick to use one, yeah, I honestly don't know. It'd be really hard because I think the, the ecosystem tie-in with iOS and like the social aspect of group chats and stuff makes it really hard to ever fully give that up. But I also like do prefer a lot of things on Android on a day-to-day. So I'm, I'm lucky I don't have to pick one because I use both of them on a daily basis. And I think I will continue to for as long as I'm doing this career and probably even after. Very well said. Thank you. I think for me, where it differentiates or where I kind of stand is with it is I like Android and I like iOS. I think they're both fantastic operating systems. For what I use it for, iOS fits my bill a bit better just because I am very ingrained into the iOS ecosystem. That may, however, change because I am also debating switching back to like Windows or switching really? to Windows now. Well, yeah, I'm testing out a Windows computer now for the next two weeks and seeing if I can do a full switch because it's something that, I, that has interested me. And I think that I would like to use a Surface. Like, I think that my next laptop might end up being a Surface Pro. And then my, next dex- my, my desktop might be a Mac. I think that's where I might end up going with it. But we'll see. I think that Android is a fantastic platform that I would love to be able to use more. However, the ecosystem that I've just become drawn into with iOS has made it impossible to do so at the current moment. But Android is definitely a very fun platform. And it's something that I, I definitely do really appreciate. 
if green bubbles aren't something that bothers you, then I would highly just recommend trying out an Android phone for a little bit. I look at phones like I look at hair. You can make a bad decision, but you're gonna be able to grow it back later. And the same goes with phones. Like mm. you make a bad decision one like one year, then one phone cycle, then the next phone cycle, you'll be able to make a better and more informed decision then. So if you're considering switching to Android for a little bit, I recommend it. Worst case happens, sell it, go buy a new iPhone. Like it literally does not matter. Just give yourself a shot. Give it a shot. I think it's definitely worth that. Yeah. And I also would say there's probably even more nuance that we could do. Like we could do probably a feature head to head comparison. So if you guys like this episode and you want to see like a, another episode where we literally break down, like comparatively, like this phone has this feature and this phone has this feature. Let us know on Twitter at digital dive pod. And we'll be back next week, 7am central, 8am Eastern. So stoked that we're back. Um, and thank you guys so much for all oh, the love oh. on the last episode. Oh, stuff we like this week. Oh no. Yeah. I forgot my bad. Um, okay. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. You want to do the first one, Darsh? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I actually just rewatched a movie that I haven't seen in like a couple of years. It came out in 2015. It was called Edge of Tomorrow. Ooh, uh, it was okay. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt as the main actors. I actually really liked it. I thought that it was a really cool like utopian idea of like what the future might look like. It, it was a bit of like a dystopian kind of vibe where like the future was being overrun by like aliens. So if you're into that kind of like sci-fi kind of movie and like it's very action filled, plus it's Tom Cruise, check it out. I thought it was pretty good. That's awesome. Okay. I love like a lot of the Tom Cruise stuff especially his action movies. I feel like that's really where he comes alive as an actor. My first one, I can't remember if we talked about this in the podcast. Did I mention Super Ache? I feel like we were on break when it came out. I, I, don't think, I don't think so. I don't think you've mentioned it. Okay. So Super Ache is by Conan Gray. It's like his sophomore album, which means it's his second one. It's really great. It's a lot of a, um, sad songs, but they're produced to be like really high energy. So I feel like it's a good mix and I've been listening to it a ton on Spotify. So I'd highly recommend. Damn, I will definitely check that out then. My next one is actually going to be a TV show. It's called BoJack Horseman. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Jacqueline. No. It's pretty much about like, imagine Full House with like Bob Saget, but imagine Bob Saget was a horse and then now he's washed up. (laughs) Like that's effectively what the show is. It's like, it's uh, this guy, BoJack Horseman. He is an actor. Um, He's also a horse. Uh, so and it's bizarre. like you, it's this world it's a cartoon so it's where in this world oh. where like animals and humans can like coexist and like they all have an upper level of consciousness where they can like interact and have feelings and can like share emotion but they still are very much their animals so like this horse was the like adoptive father of three orphan children and like that was the show that was kind of the idea like they just got thrown upon him and he just he was very witty and it was very much a sitcom and it's about like his life afterward like 30 years later when he's like retired and washed up and like trying to get like his life back in check it's it can get a bit dark it is a mature rated show just because of the content of what they talk about and uh like i guess the drug and substance abuse Mm. um but i I just i think it's a freaking hilarious show it was so well done it's will arnett allison brie ken jong is in some episodes like it's like there's a ton of really good actors in it aaron paul i don't know if you know him from breaking bad he was like the he was i think his name was jesse in the show okay uh he was like the younger guy he's also in it he plays one of the main characters like there's a ton of like really really cool celebrities in it so i'd highly recommend checking it out Okay, I'm definitely going to do that. That's awesome. My last one for this week is called Creator Economics. It's by um, Mr. Beast Manager Reed and Blake Robbins. They basically interview different creators about like their content journey, um, how they think about making content, the business model behind it. I find I learn a lot from it. And they had Ryan Trahan on recently. Um, and Ryan Trahan like, genuinely is one of my favorite creators. And I feel like he approaches YouTube in like, such an optimistic and like honest way where a lot of creators... I feel like approach it with stress of like, I have to do this. And like, I don't know, they come at it from a place of like it being like an obligation versus like an exciting thing. And I feel like he really comes at it from a place of excitement. So I listened to his interview and it just made me so to make videos. So the interview, if anyone wants to watch it is called or listen to it, 
how Ryan Trahan gained 4 million subscribers in one year, and I would highly recommend. Damn, that's awesome. And with that being said, I want to give a huge shout out to Adil Constantine, as always, for the amazing intro and outro music this episode. I also want to give a huge shout out to all of you here listening to the very end of the episode. I do hope that you guys did enjoy it. And if you did, as I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, make sure to drop a review. Let us know what you guys thought, whether it's good or bad. We love all the criticism and honestly, it just helps us become better podcasters. So we really appreciate anything you guys can do. That's pretty much it for me, Jacqueline. Any final words? That's it. We'll be reading another review in the next episode. So if you want a chance to possibly be that person, leave a review. 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern. See you next Monday. All right, bye.